Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Bite Size Podcast. We are on Saturday morning, 30th of December, wishing you all a happy new year ahead. I'm joined by special guest Aaron, otherwise known on Twitter or X as at FPL Plonker. Good to see you back. I know I wasn't on the show when you came on with Clayton last time, so pleasure to have you, Aaron. Thank you for agreeing to join me in this festive period. I know it's not the greatest of times. I was hoping we'd meet after winning at Anfield and beating West Ham, but we're here to talk about one point in six, so hopefully we can turn it around against Fulham, right? I know, yeah. I think um, my first appearance with Clayton, I, I can't remember now, but I think it might have been just after the City win. So to come on after that and then compare it to now is a uh, yeah, stark contrast, but you've got to take the good with the bad, haven't you? Definitely. And um, I didn't want people thinking we weren't doing shows just because of dropping points and that we only record when we win. So obviously Clayton's on holiday with his family in Goa and he will be back for the Fulham review with me next week. But we had Hassan on to review the Brighton game when when he was away. And then we've obviously got you on. Um, Hopefully maybe over the winter break, we can get Mike on as well. Some of the guys from the chat and do a little viewers kind um, kind of season review. We're halfway point now. Um, I think, you know, we have 40 points from 19 games. It's it's less points than we did from 19 games last year. But I think last year was a different kind of Arsenal. And maybe we can talk today about what our expectations for the season ahead are. Before we go right into it, quick shout out to Bungle. Evening, Happy New Year. So he's in Tokyo quite evening, late Bungle. there now. Yeah, definitely evening for him. And Mike Halpin, Happy New Year, lads. Night shifts for me. So going to bed. I'll catch this later on shift when I'm paid to watch it. I love it. <laughs> Good job, Mike. I love it. Um, yeah, so I've put the graphic of the 2-0 loss from West Ham. But I think before we go there, why don't we first start with Liverpool and just talk about the two goals? I know we won't spend long there, just a few minutes, because we want to keep this episode quite short and sweet with Fulham being just a day away. But yeah, I guess, how did you feel? Like, you know, we went to Anfield, first few minutes, it felt like we got off to the dream start. You know, we were going on, off after them, just like last year. As soon as the first whistle went, there was the Jesus shot that got deflected over for a corner. I think it was about a minute in or 30 seconds in. And we just looked like we were ready to go. And then, you know, we got the free kick four minutes in. Odegaard free kick delivery. Gabriel Maglish leaps into the air like a salmon and straight into the net. Short VAR review, but nothing of concern. And we're, there we go. Bob's your uncle. 1-0 four minutes in at Anfield. And it just felt like it was going to go well from there. But well, I guess, what were your thoughts? Were you impressed with the early start? Did you expect us to come out the blocks like that? Yeah, I mean, I was I was very curious to how he was going to approach that game because um, it felt like last season, you know, the narrative was a turning point was the Xhaka um, heated moment with Trent, wasn't it? We got the crowd riled mm. up and it sort of shifted momentum. So I was thinking or wondering whether Arteta would try to really slow the pace of the game, control the game and get the crowd quiet so that we could sort of you know negate that but it didn't really go like that it was a frantic game but um being as it's the highest scoring fixture in Premier League history I suppose you couldn't uh, expect nothing less but yeah I was very confident and I thought you know we are the better team and we got that early goal we've been quite good from corners um of late but it's one of those ones where a draw in the end Whereas last season, it was crunch time and we couldn't afford to drop points. It felt a lot more gutting, whereas at this stage, a draw still feels like a good result for us. So um, I, I was still positive about that game. Yeah, I think I was positive overall. I think the way I see it is that 
we would want to win at Emirates and at least draw there. And they would probably want to win at Anfield and at least draw at Emirates. So I think of the two teams, we would have been the happier going out of that, to be real. Um, you know, we're talking about, obviously, we're disappointed in the one point in six this week, but I'm sure they will have equally been disappointed with their one point, um, sorry, with their two points in six against a struggling United at the time and us. Um, quick shout out as well to put in. Good to see you, buddy. Um, we will come back to this question. There's a Q&A briefly at the end. So I'm going to star it so that we remember to come back to it and we will timestamp the Q&A. So if you miss some of the show, or you just want to see specifically what we think about um, whether Arsenal or Liverpool could win the title this year ahead of Man City. We will talk more about that. Um, I definitely think we need to see some movement in January if there's any hope at this stage. But fingers crossed they'll surprise us. Um, just on their goal, I just want to briefly talk about Liverpool's goal and then we'll go straight into West Ham. So Liverpool's goal, I just thought, I know Zinchenko got a lot of stick for this and, you know, he was the one kind of marking Salah and there was, you know, there wasn't much he could do about it from my personal perspective. I appreciate defensively he's not the best and he kind of makes up for it and what he gives us in fluidity going forward and in midfield, you know, him playing there next to Rice in that pivot kind of allows the likes of Havertz to play further up as well where we've been seeing better performances from him. The, the issue for me was that that Trent delivery is just insane. Like, th these are, like, the odds of something like that. Um, and then on top of it, like, Salah to score from that angle with the defenders around him. I'm pretty sure when you watch it back a few times, it does feel that Raya thinks that he's going for the far post. And I think most players from that position would go for the far post if they're cutting in from the right-hand side. But um, he went for the inside post and just smashed it into the net. And um, I don't think at that point, Raya's footing was wrong. He was, you know, I think he, essentially what I'm getting at is I feel he guessed before the shot was taken which way it would go. And when the shot went the other way from what he guessed, it was too late to move his footwork around and reposition and reset himself, I thought. So that was, yeah, that, that was my view of it. I just felt you can't take anything away from them from that goal. I don't think like, Nine times out of ten, someone makes the mistake Zinchenko made there and the delivery isn't as pinpoint as Trent's laser and there isn't a world-class winger like Salah waiting to demolish you in one one moment. So, yeah, I think in that perspective, yeah, I'm, you know, I think from there they turned the screw as well and I think we weathered the storm well. I think just in terms of data, I'll say on this match before we move on, last year, I believe when I heard it, it was something like 3.5 XG that Liverpool got on us. Mm. So, you know, like they really, like, we, we were very fortunate to get that draw last year. Whereas this year, um, their XG was 1.04 on the Markar stats that we normally use, Markar stats spot on Twitter. And ours was 0.66. You know, they had seven shots in the penalty box. We had eight. So it, it felt like a far more even game in terms of reducing them to chances and, it, it was a bit more like the rest of this season has gone so far, right? With trying to maybe play for control and we're, we're not as attacking as we were or as fluid going forwards. Um, but yeah, that's that's that game. I think 1-1, one, one, we would have taken it. You know, we just thought business done. Let's let's not lose to Liverpool. Let's not lose to City. You're not going to win a title if you're losing both legs against your main rivals in the challenge. So let's go into West Ham because this was then the lineup versus West Ham. So for the podcast listeners... It was the same lineup as Liverpool, but Havertz was suspended for his fifth yellow card. So Trossard came in. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, because I know there was a lot of talk pre-game about maybe Jorginho starting with Rice in a double pivot. 
what were your thoughts pre-game? Like, were you expecting a Jorginho kind of game, or were you surprised to see Trossard there in a more attacking lineup? Yeah, I mean, I guessed uh, Trossard out of the two, but I have been finding it a bit difficult to predict Arteta with his decisions because there's games where I think, oh, he's definitely going to go for Jorginho in the six, and then he plays Havertz, and then there's games vice versa where I think Havertz going to play, and then Jorginho was playing. Um, so I've not been able to pick up the pattern. Um, but on Trossard, it's hard because I've been such a Trossard supporter, especially pre-season when I thought he looked amazing. I thought I thought the midfield would be a thriving role for him, especially when we've got our front three all fit. But every time he starts there, he just looks a bit lost and it doesn't really impact the game. So um, I don't know how different it would have been with Jorginho, to be honest, because I think almost our entire team dropped stinkers against West Ham. But yeah, I, was, I wasn't surprised, but um, I just didn't know either way, to be honest. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, I, I, I thought, you know, it's at home. Surely, like, we've got what it takes to play the double eights, which are more attacking. Like, it's fine. And I wasn't as convinced by Trossard playing in the midfield as I thought I would be. Most of the season, like you, I've kind of thought that was maybe his best position. Like, I'd kind of liked this two-footedness. It reminded me a bit of Santi Cazorla playing deeper mm. in midfield back in the day. So I was hoping for more of that type of performance. But the more and more I look at it now, it feels like Martinelli is really struggling out there on his own on the left wing as well. And I'm wondering whether Trossard going forwards this season might be better suited for us in that left wing role as an option there or even as a striker option. Um, I'm starting to wonder whether I was right about him being a good number eight for us anyway. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that he is. And I think this January, it sounds like we're in for a defender as a priority, if we can. But after that, it's a midfielder. So maybe that says it all. Um, I know Smith Rowe could play there. Vieira's been injured. He could play there in midfield as well. You know, there's there's a Partey himself, obviously. You know, El Nenny's injured. Like, there are a lot of injuries. But with the 11 we put out on paper, you would expect a better performance. Um, Equally, these are obviously like the festive congestion. I think the break couldn't come at a better time. We need to take this match and just like get into the January window and bring some of these injured players back. Um, in terms of individuals, is there any individuals you want to call out? Maybe we'll spend a bit more time on West Ham because that was just two days ago. Liverpool, we obviously skirted over. But with West Ham, let's talk about their two goals maybe first and then individuals in the Arsenal team. So obviously they took the lead when um, there was the Thomas Suchek goal from the defensive mix-up. Uh, so that, that was really frustrating. I thought we got the leveller when Bukayo Saka hit the post. So that was even more annoying. Um, also, I noticed, obviously, the centre-back pairing, Ogobona and Mavropanos. I didn't think that could keep a clean sheet against us. Boy, was I wrong. Um, equally, he was an old Arsenal player. So I didn't expect that to come back and haunt us with him to get the second goal to fully kill you know the game off. One thing I will say is I was watching this with a mate of mine, an Arsenal fan, and um, when he saw Raya lighting up for the penalty, he was like, how's the five foot six goalkeeper going to save a penalty? And then like seconds later, he saved the penalty. So that was like the one good thing in this game, um, really. Um, but yeah, what, what were you thinking? Because this game, if I just, like the stats, actually, I'm going to read out the stats for this game because the stats are disgusting. Um Obviously, it was 2-0 to West Ham, but the XG from Marcos stats for Arsenal was 3.5. 30 shots, no goals. Uh, West Ham, 
two goals from like six shots. Um, the expected threat for Arsenal, 3.68 to 0.85 for West Ham. Possession, 73% to 26%. Field tilt, I've never seen this before, 90% in their third compared to 9% in our third. What went wrong, man? Like, what the hell? Was it a defensive... I guess my question is, was it a defensive masterclass from Moyes and West Ham, despite the centre-back pairing? Or was it a lack of clinicalness from Arsenal in front of goal? Because, you know, there was some really poor, tame shots. Like, the numbers say we took 30 shots, but 20 of those 30 shots were blocked or off target. So, you know, they were, like, putting their lives on the line, but equally, I felt we were taking too many touches. I don't know if you felt that way. There's a lot of times where I felt like we were trying to take too many touches in and around the box, and the shots we then got off were straight at Areola. Yeah, I mean, uh, before the game, I wasn't confident because I think West Ham have a really good team. And Moyes, um, although he's, I think his away record to the big six is really poor, I feel like he's always suited quite well to play against teams like us because he is quite negative. He is um, quite defensive. But in transitions and counter-attacks, they've got such great quality that they could sting us. And then on top of that, they've got a set-piece for it, you know, JWP from any corner or free kick, and they've got aerial threats like Suchek and um, Dinos Mavropanos who could come back come back and haunt us with a bullet header. Um, so I was worried, but saying that, I think it was more our own doing because I've never seen us play that badly before. I was uh, got, luckily got a last minute ticket to the game, and there was just so many sloppy, unforced errors just in the middle third, passing it off the pitch, completely giving it to the opposition. Even in the final third, there was like layoff passes that were just going out for goal kicks. I've never seen us that sloppily. I've seen us play sloppily for periods of games and then Mm. we sort of bring it back round, but it felt like we were sloppy for 90 minutes. And then on top of that, although we did create chances, like you said, the, the finishing felt toothless. And I was watching the game thinking... We're gonna score at some point. There's no way we don't score. And then as the minutes went on, I was I completely just had a humbling realization that we definitely aren't scoring because by the end of the game, I was it felt hopeless. Um we did have some good chances overall, but when I look back, I think other than the Jesus one, and you can maybe argue the Saka one hit in the post, and I think there was a Trossard. Um, yeah, where shot. he went just over the bar, yeah, from outside the box, I think. Uh, no, there's another one where I think he managed to take a touch quite close to goal and then he shot it straight into Areola. Um, oh, that oh, so I'm thinking of the one in the first half, like 10 minutes in, but you're talking about the, the one that Areola actually saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, did, I did forget that other Trossard chance, but yeah, like, none of them felt like really big, massive chances. So, I mean, we deserve to lose. We got, there's no denying it. We played badly. Moyes' low block worked against us. And um, I think we just panicked. We, Like you said, there was too many touch in the box, too many overthinking things. And we didn't have a plan B. It's like we didn't have anyone um, who could try something different. Our, our sole reliance was on Odegaard to try something. And I think he had a bit of a mixed game. He'd done some brilliant things on Thursday, but then done some bad things as well. But I felt like if we were going to score, it was going to be something from him. But um, we should be relying on... Well, we shouldn't be relying on one guy, you know. We've got enough outlets and enough tacking power to be uh, to have multiple routes to go, and it just didn't happen. And it was, yeah, worst we've played in a long time, I think. 
it was. And some of the stats that have come out since, obviously, it's um, quite disappointing stats. But it was David Moyes' first ever win against us in all competitions. Yeah. There's 23 attempts he's had, four losses, 18. Sorry, four draws, 18 losses before that match. We also had 77 touches in the opposition box, in a which is the most on record since 2008 mm. for a team who failed to score. So no one else has had like 77 touches since 2008 in a box and not scored. Yeah. Um, it also, West Ham have beaten us twice in the same season for the first time since 2006 because of obviously um, the cup game they knocked oh, us out yeah. as well. I thought we'd be trying to get revenge here. That didn't quite happen. And then we also lost for the first time at home in the league this year. So we hadn't actually lost, oh, really? there hadn't been defeat in the Emirates. Our other two losses against... Um, both live not no sorry against Villa, Newcastle. Newcastle and Villa were both away right so yeah um, our last home defeat was May the three 0 against Brighton when oh, our title yeah. challenge came cr- crashing down. Um, West Ham have won three consecutive Premier League games without conceding for the first time since February 2014. So they are in a rich vein of form. Um, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just very good. Now we end the year 2023. We end it obviously tomorrow to go across town. We're going to go to Fulham, Craven Cottage on New Year's Eve. Um, it's going to be a big one. Oh, we've got Fella in the chat as well. Good to see you, buddy. You missed all the stuff we said about your boy. Well, I don't know if you missed it. But we're talking about your records that you smashed us, basically. Um, seeing as he's here, I'll give him one record about Ward Prowse and then we'll move on and talk about the individual Arsenal performances. So he's now provided Ward Prowse provided 10 assists in all competitions this season. He's the second Premier League player to reach double figures after Bukayo Saka's 11. Um, but also eight of the 10 assists for Ward Prowse have come from set plays, the most of any Premier League player. So only Saka and Ward Prowse have reached double figures um, this season for assists in all competitions out of all Premier League players. So yeah, that, that's, that's that game. But overall... What do you think, I guess, before we talk about Fulham predictions and lineup scores and all that kind of good stuff, what do you think the problem was? That like, is it something we can solve in January or do we need to go with the players we have? So, you know, it felt that we... I know, I know people are saying, like, we're not missing anyone, we have a strong team, but I think the fact that we're in the position we are on the league table despite the injuries is testament to how much more depth we have than last year and the year before. So where we missed out on top four or missed out on first, a couple of injuries derailed those end of runs, end of season runs. Whereas now we've played most of the season okay. without, say, the likes of Partey, you know, Tommy Asu's been in and out, Timber's been out all season. You know, we've we got Jorginho's out at times, Elneny's out, um, you know, Saka was out for a game, Odegaard was out for a couple of games, Jesus was out for a while, Martinelli was out for a while. Like, when you kind of add that all up, if that was last season, we would not be in the position we are now. So I think is we've got to say, like, I definitely see growth in the squad and the dev that we were able to still be here where we are despite all that. But I don't know if when some of them come back fit, if that's going to be enough to go on and win. So then the question is, what do we need in January if just the players returning isn't enough? Like we have more depth now, but there's talks of us even being willing to sell Kivior. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I'm a bit perplexed by that, to be honest, because... I mean, we definitely can't afford to really do it in January if Tommy Asu is going to be going Asia Cup or if he's injured and we still got Timber out. I think we're down to like five 
senior defenders at the moment. So, um, I mean, I do, I do personally think if we know that we get a fully fit party, which is a big ask, and a fully fit timber for the back end of the season, I think that will give us massive improvements. I know our problems have mainly been in attack, but I think that will have a knock-on effect. And um, we know deep down, Saka Jesus Martinelli is a very good front three. Um, I don't know why it's not firing quite as well as last season. You can say tactical changes and whatnot. I do think we'll bounce back and we will be scoring more goals because there has been games where I think it was Bournemouth um, four nil. Um, we also been there has been some four nils and five nils in us. It Sheffield as well, yeah. I yeah, thought the games where we've really gone for it though, like we've obviously done well in those games, but I, I don't feel the goal scoring itself was a problem because I think you look at that game and the data will be read out, right? Nine times out of ten, you win that game. Like you simulate that game, you win. But that's the problem. That's what the data says. But my eyes told me something else. And the whole time, like you, when I was watching, I just didn't feel the goal was coming. Yeah. And that's what my eyes told me. So yeah. <laughs> I always say that if like the qualitative data seems in dispute with the quantitative data, dig deeper. Because normally, like you see the quantitative data, it says we dominated, right? And we we like pinned them in their box all game. But my eyes don't tell me that. My eyes told me that we were sloppy in front of goal and yeah. that they just wanted it more than us. So now I know there was controversial calls and I've made a decision to not talk about it today because I'm just fed up of it every week. Um, the fact that twice we've been, you know, in a, a debate, I suppose, about an unconclu- inconclusive decision of was a ball in or out of play. I, I just find that shocking when every other sport like cricket and tennis can figure it out with balls moving at the pace they do and the size they are I know that there is a solution to fix it which they don't want to do because it's too expensive they can put a chip in the balls basically and that chip just tells you if it goes out the perimeter or not at all times factually the fact I think that that, they had that I believe in the World Cup and I don't think the Prem wants it because you need to replace the balls every game and it's quite expensive I've heard all kinds of bullshit rumours though people saying oh, it's because the Premier League has a deal with Nike and they're only an Adidas ball, so they're not allowed to use them, but they're going to move to Puma, who do have the tech. And there's so much shite out there. And there's someone else saying, no, the big Premier League clubs like Arsenal City and Liverpool voted against it so they can continue pressuring referees to give them the calls they want. It's like, like it's just the stuff you hear, You it's just proper tin foil crap, right? Like My yeah. understanding is, I read a legit article months ago it's a cost thing. It's got fuck all to do with people doing it so that they can try and control games by convincing referees to help them. That doesn't happen. Now, just so, yeah, the, the point of that rant there was that essentially I just feel I wish there was more consistency. I wish in the biggest league in the world where there's so much money from the TV and broadcast companies that they would, you know, just get the factual decisions correct. Like, you know, it's just not excusable. Do you remember the season that Villa didn't get relegated and Sheffield did because of a goal that got scored that didn't get tracked? How did they not have the goal line technology switched on to know that the ball went in and they didn't give a goal and the team got relegated over that? Mm. Now, that's madness. Like, that is actually mad. And, and this kind of shit happens in the Premier League all the fucking time. Oh, um, like, I, like, even still, like, City concludes, like, you know, they won their game last weekend very fairly. But you saw when the penalty shout happened, they all surrounded the ref. They all said, what do you mean? Penalty, penalty, penalty. And then he just gives a penalty. Like, yeah. like you know, it's just, 
I, I don't find it a very good situation. I think my, my final thought on it is I feel that linesmen and refs are not making difficult decisions, Aaron. I don't know what your opinion on this. They're not making difficult decisions because they're relying on VAR to look at it and get the correct one. But then VAR looks at these decisions. They're inconclusive and sticks with the on-field decision because there's no clear and obvious error, right? So I think we need to redefine clear and obvious so everyone knows what is clear and obvious error. What does that mean? Because it's such a vague wording. What does it actually mean? And refs need to make the decision on the match field because their VAR friends don't want to re-officiate the game. So if you say it's a goal or it's not a goal or it's in play or out of play, if they're not sure when they rewatch it, they won't change what the decision on field was. So these refs and linesmen, they're basically saying, oh, I'm not going to call this off out of play because maybe VAR will look at it. And then VAR looks at it and goes, shit, I don't have an angle, you know. Oh, the linesman didn't put his flag up, so let's just say it's in. Yeah. That that kind of stuff pisses me off. Now, all of that aside, we deserve to lose. I didn't see us scoring whether that incident happened or not. So I'm not here to complain about the result. I'm just pissed about the fact that this keeps happening in the Premier League to many teams, not just us. But that, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on that? On the, do you think the refs are doing what I suggested, which is relying on VAR to make a decision when they're not sure, but then VAR doesn't make the decision because it doesn't want to go against the on-field decision. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I don't want to rant too much about refs and VAR, but it's uh, I think everyone's frustrated with it. But you can tell the 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 proofs in the pudding when um, VAR always have to send refs to the monitor and then they always end up overturning their decision. It's not like a 50-50 thing. It's like the VAR just are scared to tell the ref they're wrong. So they're like, you come over to the monitor and then it looks like you've made the decision or you've seen it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, the West, I, the Newcastle one, just to quickly go back to that, it did look much more inconclusive. This West Ham one did look like it was out. Um, yeah. I know that leg obscuring it and you think, why have they not got another camera angle? The technology is another thing, obviously. There's just so many things that could have easily um, shown us the truth. Um, but yeah, I mean, we lost the game, so it's not something I, I care too much about. But um, Yeah, like end of the day, like we can't do anything about it. The match is gone. We, as, as I said, it's not an excuse. We deserve to lose. Uh, I think... I do feel it's an anomaly game as well. Like, I'd like to think we bounce back. I think the main thing I've noticed this season, and this will be a good kind of segue into the Fulham match to talk about that next, is when we were losing in Arteta's earlier years, we'd lose three games at a time. So you lose one, you knew you were going to lose the next match of three before you bounce back. This season so far, hopefully it stays the same now, but when we lost in Newcastle, when we lost the Villa, we bounced back well each time. We went straight back into it. We, we shook it off and we carried on. So I'm hoping that that's the kind of situation here where we've lost. It kind of gives us a bit of a shock to the system. And against Fulham, we go to their stadium, we go to Craven Cottage and we just turn up. That That's my hope and prayers. But whether that happens, I guess we'll find out tomorrow, right? Yeah, I mean, we've got, I think it's Fulham, Palace, Forest next three. Um, Some winnable so... games, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we've got Liverpool in the cup as well. But, yeah, it seems like a nice opportunity to bounce back. And, yeah, I've not seen us play that bad in a long time. So, you can only hope that we don't play anywhere near as bad again. I hope not, man, honestly. And so, in terms of the game, why don't we talk a little bit about what we think, I guess, maybe the lineup was. So, this is Fulham's lineup for the podcast viewers. This is the lineup they put out against United in their last game. So, they had Leno in goal, 
Tete, Adarabayo, Bassi, and Robinson in the back line. Jao Palinia, uh, Carney in the midfield. Reed, Pereira, and Awobi behind Muniz as striker. So William was obviously out. Um, but this is the lineup they put out last time. We looked at the lineup we put out against West Ham. I can't comment much on what I think will happen with the Fulham lineup. I can't profess to know too much about them. Um, obviously, I'm not sure if William's ready to be back, which is a big part of this. I think he's been really informed for them recently. So they definitely are missing him. You know, they won two home games, 5-0 back-to-back recently. Um, obviously, they've now kind of lost. So the question is, will Arsenal bounce back this weekend or will it be Fulham who's bouncing back? In terms of our lineup, do you see any difference? Do you see just Havertz coming in straight for Trossard? Is that the only thing you can see happening or do you expect any other changes? Yeah, I mean, I've done a prediction thread for um, Jump the Wave on Twitter and that's that what, what I've gone with. I've gone with Havertz in for Trossard and that's it. But I do, I do think, you know, Arteta is that type of guy to punish bad performances and especially losses. You know, most managers tend to make changes when we lose badly. So I do think there's chances that Zinchenko or Martinelli, even Jesus could be susceptible uh, to a drop-in. But Mm -hmm. just because of the opponent it is, I don't really see... I can't really see a reason to play Kivior over Zinchenko except just purely to punish Zinchenko. So I think Zinchenko will carry on playing. And then Martinelli, who has been out of form, um, you know, Reese Nelson looks positive when he comes on. I think he should have got more minutes against West Ham. So there could be something there. Like you said, Trossard could be uh, potentially like a, a better option, yeah. left wing. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, Jesus, I think the most, I think the least likely one would be in Ketirin for Jesus, but... There could be a world where it happens, but I do think we'll go stick to what we know and give the boys a chance to, you know, get themselves back into form. Because Fulham, although it's an away game and no games are easy in the Prem, it should be one that we win and dominate. So if Sinchenko, if our front three can all grab a goal against Fulham and Sinchenko looks on it, then, you know, it's, it feels like we've healed or patched up the injury or the wound to us straight away. So Yeah, that's what we need, I think. That's exactly it. We don't want these kind of losses to become lost streaks. And you can't sustain for the season like that. Um, obviously, talking about Mavropanos getting a goal against us, any any thoughts about whether Iwobi or William makes a shock recovery and those two get on the score sheet against their old club as well? Do we need I to mean... be worried? Yeah, I mean, after those back-to-back 5 nils, I was thinking Fulham... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, looking really good. But then there's just a 3-0 loss, 2-0 loss, 3-0 loss. I think one of them was to Burnley as well. So mm, um, There was a 3-0 to Bournemouth as well, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to get a read on Fulham. But, um, yeah, just on paper, the team is just nowhere near our level. So, I'm I'm not... I was much more worried about the likes of Kudus and Bowen and Paqueta than I am of Awobi and Oh, yeah, yeah. That team scared <laughs> me way more. So, in terms of then score predictions, what do you think is going to be the score tomorrow. So I can go first. I'm expecting us to not keep a clean sheet. I'm expecting a 2-1 win or 3-1 win. Yeah, I've I've gone for a 1-0 win. I think okay. I think it's not going to be a complete and instant bounce back to our prime and best form. I think we're going to we're going to look better, but we're still going to struggle when I I think yeah, there's been a lot of away games where we control it and really look like the clean sheet's going to be a banker. 
So I think it's going to be a scrappy 0-0 game. It's going to be similar to West Ham where we're going to struggle to get the goal but create frustrating chances. But I do think we'll get the win. I hope I'm wrong. I I really hope we just look fluid and we really Mm. score a good two or three goals. But yeah, I'm going for a 1-0. Well, at least we're both predicting win. Let us know in the chats what you guys are predicting as well. I'm going to answer some of the questions that I've starred from the chat and then we'll get out of here in a quick and snappy bite-sized episode. So, so Pudin's question at the time was, do you think Arsenal will win the league or is it Liverpool? Um, I wouldn't write City off just yet. They are the lowest they've been in the odds in years. But I do feel that draw with Liverpool and Arsenal will have helped them mentally and the returns of players like De Bruyne soon and Doku and Haaland have obviously been out as well. But when everyone's back and ready, I do feel they'll crack on. But um, for now, I would say I feel that Liverpool play very direct. And so they give up possession a lot more. And Arsenal control a lot more, but don't seem as clinical and lethal in front of goal as Liverpool. So I feel both those teams have their flaws. Whereas with City, I feel they can control games and have superstars to score. So it's kind of like... They are the one that I still think is the favourite, despite their position. Um, but if one out of Arsenal or Liverpool were going to win, if we just kind of imagine City didn't exist, then that's a tough one. Because I thought as it stands without some additions in January, I don't think we can win it because we got not enough defenders, essentially. Like until Timber's back and, you know, Tommy Asu's going to the Asian Cup, like there's just... I feel right now it's too hard for me to call. I know we're halfway through the season, but I feel like I need a bit more time to make a definitive shout. Like, come to me in, like, say, February, March, when we get into the run-in. That, that, that's when I'll be knowing where we're at. But I feel like we just... My goal always was, and I think Clayton said it, is come February, March, just still be in the Cups. Like, be in the last 16 of the Champions League or the quarterfinal. Um, be a few points off first maximum, like, by March. If we're in those kind of positions come then, th- then I'll be far more confident. But until then, there's still a lot of chinks in our armour that I want to see us um, resolve. I'm not saying they're unresolvable, but I want to see us resolve them. And stuff like whether Martinelli can come back into form in the second half, that will have a big impact on what will happen next. Um, just seeing if there's any other comments to read. They're not necessarily questions, but they're just comments from people. So... We already kind of answered Bungle's one about will William or Iwobi score tomorrow. Yeah. Um, fella said how we came away with three points and a clean sheet. I'll never know. Moyes for <laughs> Yeah, but I had to put that up. And then Pudin says Havertz is not a false striker. He's a false footballer. So I know he gets a lot of hate Havertz, but I do feel that already what we're starting to see from him in the last few weeks is quite good. And actually, in some ways, I think what we were missing against West Ham was his physicality and I do wonder if Jesus, having had a Havertz to play off with him, would have performed much better. It felt that entire left pod was struggling without him there. So that kind of Zinchenko, Trossard, Martinelli left side. We were just very right side focused. And I'd like to think with Havertz back in, it will help both Martinelli and Jesus. Um, But yeah, let's get out of here. We're 35 minutes in. Um, We've done the Q&A as well. And yeah, it's been a pleasure, Aaron. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you to everyone for listening on your Saturday morning. We will be back next week for the Fulham review and we'll preview the next uh, league game from now. There's a big break in January. So we only play like one or two league games and FA Cup comes back in. So yeah, let's just bounce back. Let's not let those wounds get worse, as Aaron said. 
And yeah, if you don't already follow Aaron, check him out on Twitter or X at FPL Plonker. But yeah, it's been a pleasure having you here, buddy. Hopefully I'll get to see you at the Emirates soon and we can go for a drink together before or after the game. But thank you everyone who tuned in and we'll see you next time. Yeah, up the Arsenal. Come on, you Gunners. Yeah, cheers for having me, Neymar. And yeah, come on, you Gunners. Come on, let's get that win. <laughs>